churches uh, to help you know, slow down the spread of the virus. To be honest, uh, I was a little nervous on how it might affect us uh, financially as a church. Sorry, that sounds a little selfish for me, but it's true. And I want you to know how amazing you are. And uh, I've just been so humbled by your generosity and your faithfulness to worship the Lord with your giving and to support the ministry of our church. You know, our ministry is actually growing uh, during this time, we have as many as 2,000 people during the week that are watching our services online. And so that's really exciting for us. So many people are feeling God's call to come back to him. And, you know, many people are uh, receiving ministry through these uh, services online. So I want to thank you so much uh, for partnering with us, for praying for people, and uh, just your financial support. Uh, so I'll just tell you, the last couple of months, you've, you've given about $160,000, which is pretty amazing. And now, to be honest, that's about where our budget is at, almost anyway. Uh, but you've actually given a little bit above our budget. And for you to do that intentionally uh, online uh, with our website or you know, with your phone, with push pay, or to, to send uh, in a check. We have people call the church, where do I send my tithe check? So, could I just say thank you, and I want to let you know how much it's humbled me to see your faith, your love for Jesus, and your faithfulness uh, this last couple of months. It's been pretty amazing. Uh, we're going to continue this morning uh, in our series on the Holy Spirit. Some of you remember last week, I started a series entitled Quenching uh, the Thirst in My Soul. And whether we like to admit it or not, God created us to be a needy people. Uh, we don't have all the answers. And we don't have everything we need. We're not complete in ourselves, even though a lot that's said in our culture tries to help us think that we are, you know, look within yourself or whatever. Um, God created us to have a, a needy soul. And one of the reasons why there's so much in the Old Testament as uh, talking about idolatry is because we have a tendency to look to other things other than God to meet the needs in our soul. And, and the truth is, only Jesus, through the power and person of the Holy Spirit, can, can truly satisfy uh, our thirsty soul. And so I'm really excited during this series to, to try to get to know him a little better and uh, to, to, to discover his presence, maybe, hear his voice a little bit more uh, in, our, in our own lives. And I'm hoping that I can uh, help us do that as we study the, the word together. This morning, I'm going to talk about the most controversial subject, uh, doctrine, if you want to call it that, issue, I'm, I'm not sure, but the most controversial uh, subject among Christian churches during this last century. And this might sound a little foreign to you because maybe you can't see it as a controversy, but the controversy is about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so many different churches throughout this last century have taken different stances or different views in regard to that. And actually, the controversy started in 1901. Uh, in Topeka, Kansas, uh, a, a group of young people. Isn't it amazing God starts new things through young people? A group of young people who were just hungry for God. 
Uh, they started asking questions in their Bible class, a little Bible school in Topeka, Kansas. They started asking, why don't we see God doing what he did in the book of Acts? Why don't we see the miracles? Why don't we, why don't we see the healings? Uh, what, what's this speaking in tongues or prophecy? What's that all about? They just started asking questions, and they said, why is that not happening today? And to be honest, their teachers, their pastors, couldn't really answer that question, so they started praying. And one night, after a few weeks of praying and gathering together, one night, 10 uh, in, a, in a classroom, 10, uh, all of a sudden, 10 of them praying intently that the Lord would fill them with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the day of Pentecost. Uh, they were filled, some of them spoke in tongues, a sense of boldness and prophecy, confidence in God that was supernatural that they hadn't had before, and they realized something different had happened in their life. They, from that time, began to share their faith. People began to be prayed for and healed. Uh, a pastor uh, by the name of, if I can find it here in my notes, a pastor by the name of Charles Parham, uh, began literally what became a revival there in Topeka, Kansas, and that revival began to spread across our nation uh, to Los Angeles, California, a, a little uh, district called Azusa Street. Uh, Holy Spirit began to move like the day of Pentecost. A pastor or a leader by the name of William Seymour in 1906 uh, began to lead a group of people that literally began to experience the power of the Holy Spirit just like uh, in, the, in the book of Acts. And as a result, that life-changing day uh, in Topeka, Kansas, and then in uh, Azusa Street in California, that life-changing moment in the lives of those people in churches became a life-changing movement around the world. God began to move literally around the world, uh, actual I'll call them church families. Some of you would call them denominations begin to be formed, uh, Assembly of God. Uh, our own family, the Four Square Church, uh, the Nazarene Church was a part of the Pentecostal movement, the Pentecostal Church of God. Different denominations or families of churches began to spring up. Different um, parachurch organizations that were categorized as Pentecostal or spirit-filled literally began to move around the world in world evangelism and billions, literally billions of people have come to Christ since uh, 1901. In fact, did you know that more than 80% of the people around the world today who are being saved are being saved in a, what's referred to as a Pentecostal uh, church or in a, through a Pentecostal organization or a, a spirit-filled organization. God is on the move, and it began back in the early 1900s, but it also started a pretty intense controversy. Uh, there became churches who supposedly didn't have the Holy Spirit and churches who did have the Holy Spirit. And the ones who did have the Holy Spirit ended up with what I would think of as some excesses. And maybe you've heard some comments uh, before, maybe even from me, you know, swinging from chandeliers and rolling in the aisles and handling snakes, things like that that are obviously foolish. And, and we use those uh, ideas to be facetious, but there became some, uh, some extremes in regard to 
Pentecostal faith. Doctrines begin to be formed around the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Speaking in tongues became a major issue uh, as the quote-unquote initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And churches literally argued and divided over that, which is sad. Some churches even stated that in order to be saved, uh, you, you had to have the gift of tongues or speak in tongues. And unfortunately, some of these extreme-isms, if you want to call them that, created a lot of division and uh, probably hurt a lot of people. Uh, so much so that when I got involved in ministry about 40 years ago, I would meet people who would visit our church and they would ask, are you a spirit-filled church? And frankly, I wasn't sure what they were asking. <laughs> because to be honest, I thought all churches were spirit-filled. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what forms a church? <laughs> uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit? I, you know, I'm, I'm not a theologian, so I, I'm sorry if you're hoping I'm you know, deep with theology. I just got saved, fell in love with Jesus, got filled with the Spirit. I just want to know Him. And I want to know the Holy Spirit in my life. And so I kind, of, I, I kind of missed that whole argument. And if you're a younger person, if you've started attending church recently, or maybe you're coming back to God and you don't care about doctrinal issues, you just want to dive into Jesus and get to know the person of the Holy Spirit, then I'm with you, okay? So if you're watching this morning, I'm... I'm with you. But some of us were affected by some of the theology uh, that was formed during that time that created conservative churches that didn't want to lose control, so to speak. And then, of course, there were other churches that thought being out of control is what the Holy Spirit was all about. And as a result, it, it created confusion. And my hope today in talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the title of this sermon is Receiving the Gift of the Holy Spirit. My hope today in trying to talk about this is, uh, is to help us hunger and long uh, to be a people who are not only filled one time, that initial filling that I think the Bible calls the baptism, just just like you were baptized when you believed in Jesus and that was a particular day or a particular event when you were immersed in water and then lifted back up. The Bible talks about an initial day when there's an outpouring of the Spirit and a filling in your life when you are baptized. Can you imagine? Literally immersed. You know, the word baptizo uh, in, in the New Testament, uh, it, it means to, to be immersed. Uh, you find it in, in, in Greek literature, uh, a piece of cloth that is immersed in dye. It's been baptized, and it has the color of the dye throughout the cloth. The word baptizo is, is used to describe a ship that had sunk. And so it's, you know, it's down in the water, and, and the water is in it. It was baptizo. It was baptized. And so when, when the Bible talks about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's talking about an experience 
different than just receiving Christ and being saved. It's talking about an experience when we're literally baptized, when we're literally immersed and literally filled. The Holy Spirit is not only in us, but he's on us. And you'll see that phrase in some of the verses uh, that I'm going to read today. The Holy Spirit came upon them. That the word on rather than in. And people are literally being filled. And the personality, that's the joy of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled with, this, with the Holy Spirit. The personality of the, personality of the Holy Spirit literally fills you mentally, emotionally, and experientially. You know, there's that verse in the book of Psalms that says, taste and see the Lord is good. And if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've tasted something that's better than anything this life has to offer. Because he's pure. And he's real. And he's holy. And he's filled with love. And he's filled with peace. And he's filled with joy. And if you had an experience of being filled... You can't really describe it to anyone. It's so real, <laughs> but you'll never forget it. And so I want to talk about that a little bit, and hopefully if you've had some history that's created confusion or maybe even resistance, uh, barriers. Sometimes people who talk about the Holy Spirit make you feel like you're not as good as them, or you don't have what they have. That's not what we're talking about today. This is an invitation to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I'm hoping, I hope that's what this will feel like today. You see, from a biblical perspective, there's no such thing as a believer who's not filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a church that's, now they can be, but there's no such thing as a church that's not filled. This is what God desired for his people. Uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he was the one who stood up in the midst of a little bit of confusion, and he said, wait a minute, everyone. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only like nine in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel talked about when he said, in the last days... God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Your, your sons and daughters will prophesy. They'll feel the boldness and the confidence that only God can bring within your soul where you could step out of a boat and walk on water. Uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy boldly about the presence of the Lord and the word of God. Your sons and daughters, your, your, your young men will see visions. They'll have visions for Jesus Christ that will help them lead ministries that will help them in their own life turn away from the things of the world and pursue the things of God. Your young men will see visions and your old men, <laughs> so, sorry old men, uh, your old men will dream dreams you'll begin to discover the intimacies and the wonders of the person of the Holy Spirit. He will speak to you in dreams in the night season of your life. And then he went on to say in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord your God will call. See, the Holy Spirit is God's promise. And by the way, it was the promise throughout the Old Testament now, the Holy Spirit was a little bit of a mystery in the Old Testament. Uh, he, he, he wasn't always understood. He came upon a, f a few people, but, but not everyone. He was on Moses. 
And there was a day when God uh, had Moses delegate authority to several men. And as a result, all the men he delegated authority to were filled with the Holy Spirit. A few of them weren't there that day. And they were out in their tents and they began to prophesy and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And some men ran up to him and they're a little jealous for Moses that men were being filled and prophesying over here in their tents. And Moses said, I would that all men had the Holy Spirit. Back in the book of Exodus, there was a desire for all men to be touched by the Holy Spirit. Now we see the Holy Spirit in you know, prophets like Elijah when he called down fire from heaven or he, he raised the dead. We, we see the Holy Spirit on uh, uh, Samson when he killed a thousand with the jawbone of a donkey. You know? How could you do that except by the power of the Holy Spirit? So we see his presence, but it was somewhat of a mystery. There were times where he'd be gone for generations. People wouldn't see him. At work, And so there's this longing in the Old Testament for the Holy Spirit to come and to remain. One of the signs John the Baptist said about Jesus is, I saw the Spirit descend as a dove and remain on Jesus. One of the signs that a new season was coming for all mankind, and of course we all know that Jesus was the first, he was the prototype, was that the Holy Spirit remained And Peter prophesied, this is it. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off and all whom the Lord your God will call. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. I'm going to ask you to turn there in your Bible before I get too far ahead of myself here. Jesus is the one who literally commanded his disciples In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with his disciples and people that were gathered, this was after his death and after his resurrection, so this was a a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. He he appeared to people over a period of 40 days uh, after he had died and rose from the dead. So on one occasion during that time, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice in verse 4, Jesus commanded them? That's pretty strong language. I don't know if we like that as, you know cool charismatics or, you know, uh, Christians in the day we live, that Jesus commanded them? I thought, you know, it was kind of like if you were interested, you know, if you felt the Spirit leading you, if you, if you wanted. Jesus was so concerned about this, he literally commanded his disciples. Now, when I read the book of John, there's only two commands. And the first one is in John 15, and I'm going to have you go there. John 15, uh, verse 12 through 17. Jesus gave his disciples a command as he began to talk about uh, him leaving, as he began to talk about what it was going to take for them to continue on in his ministry, abiding in him. He gave them this command. John 15, verse 12 through 17. He said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. I love that. You are my friends. If you do what I command... In other words, there's a requirement there. There's 
a sense of submission to his authority. There's following his guidance, the holiness or the truth of who he is. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Jesus understood if we were going to carry on his ministry, if we are going to gather together as his followers, it was going to be necessary for us to lay aside some of our selfishness and truly learn how to, to love one another. And so he didn't make it as a suggestion. He made it as a command, love one another. And then here in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he does it again. Do not leave Jerusalem, uh, but wait for the gift my father promised, uh, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Obviously something that Jesus is concerned about for every one of us and for every church that uh, we would have that initial experience of baptism with the Holy Spirit and that we would then continue on with subsequent fillings uh, of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people ask the question, is baptism with the Holy Spirit different than salvation? And uh, I, I think that's a great question. And I want to try to illustrate it for you uh, here in the scripture because I hope it's a question you're asking yourself. Is, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit different than salvation? And uh, So I'm going to have you go to John again, John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. And we're going to look at the night when, uh, on the day Jesus rose from the dead. Remember, he saw Mary in the morning. Uh, he ascended into heaven and then he returned to his disciples and he appeared to them uh, in the upper room uh, in John 20, verse 21 through 22. Here's what Jesus said. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know about you, uh, but... That is such a great picture of what God did with Adam in Genesis chapter 2. Remember when he created Adam and then he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living being? Well, here in John 20, after Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. Remember he said back in chapter 16, I must go so I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Uh, so he breathes on them and says, uh, receive the Holy Spirit, the creator of heaven and earth, breathing on mankind a second time and forming a whole new creation so that we could be born again. This is such a great picture of what we call salvation or what we call being born again, uh, re receiving uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some denominations that would say this is just a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do in Acts chapter 2. Sorry, I'm being a little technical here. <laughs> Apologize for that. But if you look at the word receive in the Greek language, uh, the word receive means immediately. So the disciples received 
they had the experience of what we call being born again. They received the Holy Spirit. And then later, during that 40-day period where he appeared to not only his disciples, but as many as 500, one time it says in the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, during that period, he said to them again, he gave them a command to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father came and that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That suggests to me that there's different workings of the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit, but different workings of the Holy Spirit in our life. There's the Holy Spirit's working. We read it in John 16 a couple of weeks ago. There's a working of the Holy Spirit that draws us back to God. We don't even come to God except by the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's at work to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, the Bible says in, in John 16. So the Holy Spirit is drawing us back to Christ, and we, we turn to Christ. And Many of us are baptized in water, but, but there's a different working with the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit. And apparently, Jesus understood that well enough to command his disciples to wait until they had that experience. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says, uh, this of course is the experience of Pentecost. It says, uh, when the day of Pentecost came, uh, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were uh, sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This was an amazing moment. This was a sacred moment, as sacred as, you know, thinking of Jesus' crucifixion or, you know, the day of his resurrection. The coming of the Holy Spirit was a sacred day when the Holy Spirit was poured out for the sake of all men being able to, to receive him. Now, it was dramatic, and it was dramatic for a reason. I don't know about you, but have you ever had uh, the Holy Spirit speak to you in kind of a subtle, we, we call it the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. I mean, sometimes the Lord has spoke to me and then the next day I kind of wake up and say, was that the Lord or was that pizza? I mean, you know, was that something God was saying to me? And there's doubt that enter our mind. Okay, on this day there were no doubts. Okay. This was a dramatic day. Like a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire resting on each head and of course, uh, the filling produced prophecy and the gift of tongues. But it was a day to never be forgotten. That, that's the point. It was a, it was a day uh, t to never be forgotten in their lives. You know, the, the, the sound of the mighty rushing wind is an Old Testament picture of the Holy Spirit. You see it in First Kings when uh, God uh, had, had hidden him in a cave, Elijah in a cave, and you know, God came through with a mighty wind and fire, and then he finally spoke in a still, small voice, which, by the way, if you read that story, that was a prophecy about the day we experienced when the Holy Spirit is in us and he speaks to us in a still, small voice. Nevertheless, God is tying Old Testament and, and New Testament together here on this day so that the people of Israel understood this is the God of your fathers. He's coming in the power of the Holy Spirit in wind and, and of course, in, in fire. And, and as a result, the disciples who received the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20 
were now baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there was a filling in their life that literally changed their life. I mean, you remember Peter? He had denied the Lord three times. And now on the day of Pentecost, there's a boldness within his soul where he's really willing to risk his life for Jesus. When he stands up to preach, he, he could have been killed. I mean, I don't know if you've ever read his sermon in Acts chapter 2. It's pretty awesome. He says to the Jewish people, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And for a Jewish person to hear that, they were understanding. They had blood on their hands. They had sinned. And the people that day said, what should we do to be saved? And he said, repent. <laughs> and believe in, in, in Jesus, his, his son, that, that springs of refreshing may come uh, from the presence of the Lord. It's a powerful Powerful moment, powerful sermon, but a powerful change in, in Peter's life. You know, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't solve all your problems immediately, but it begins to change who you are. It begins to change the direction of your life. It, 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 it begins to change the passions of your life. For me, one of the signs uh, that a person is filled with the Holy Spirit when they are passionate about Jesus because that picture of fire over the uh, 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 apostle's head is a great picture of purity of purpose and passion being sanctified or set apart for God. When you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus isn't an option anymore. You're not playing games with God anymore. All of a sudden, you have a whole sense of destiny and purpose for your life, and that's one of the things baptism with the, the Holy Spirit does. I really believe the word baptism is to help describe uh, that initial filling, but it's a little confusing because uh, the disciples are filled several times in the book of Acts. It talks about it in Acts chapter 3, uh, when Peter, on the, on the way to the uh, temple for prayer, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, he sees a lame man from birth, and he tells the man, uh, silver and gold... <laughs> I have none, but what I have, I'll give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that man is miraculously healed. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, talks about it in Acts chapter 4. Remember, they were arrested because of what they'd done for this man and the fact that they were continuing to preach in the name of Jesus. They were beaten uh, because of they were preaching in Jesus' name, and they were excited about it. <laughs> I mean, they, they were filled with joy that they'd been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. They were literally excited that they, their backs were full of welts, <laughs> bloodied. That's a different person. <laughs> There's something about Jesus that is totally different. They went to the other disciples at the end of Acts chapter 4, and they gathered together to pray, Lord, I ask you to fill us with boldness so we can continue to preach. And, and it says there in, in Acts chapter 4, I believe it's about uh, verse 31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So this initial filling that's referred to in the Bible as baptism continued on with subsequent fillings uh, in our lives. And, and so... I don't know whether you've had that experience in your life. I know sometimes some of us have felt called to turn back to God and, and maybe even have started 
getting involved in a Bible study or started attending church, sometimes people will go as far as getting baptized in water. That's awesome. But I've seen a lot of people go that far and not go farther. I've seen a lot of people get that far and then, then fall away. And in the back of my, my mind, I've wondered, were they ever filled with the Holy Spirit? And I think that's a really important question to ask because it was a question on the mind of the apostles throughout the book of Acts. In fact, it talks about it in at least four places, literally, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19. And I want to walk through these uh, other events just so that we can have a little bit better understanding. I don't have time to to read all of the scriptures, but I'll try to uh, read at least one in each event But here are some places where people came to Jesus and then later were filled with the Holy Spirit. The first one's Acts chapter 8. Philip has gone down to Samaria to preach the gospel. God did amazing things through his life. Please read the story. It's it's fascinating. Uh, Miracles, signs, uh, deliverance. It says that demons came out with a shriek. I don't know, man. This sounds like a kind of revival that I (laughs) I would love to have happen in Klamath Falls. But uh, interesting, people turned to Jesus. Many people repented, and it says they were baptized in the water, but the apostles were concerned because none of them had received the Holy Spirit yet. The Holy Spirit hadn't come on any of them yet. Let me read, beginning in verse 14 of Acts chapter 8. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard uh, that Samaria had accepted the word of God, Of course, they were shocked by that because they weren't Jewish, at least ethically, they weren't as pure as the other Jews. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that what we do every Sunday? I mean, isn't that what the church does? You know, once saved, always saved. Don't we have our liturgies? And don't we have our services? Just interesting that that was great, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't what the apostles were longing for. And can I just say, it wasn't what Jesus was longing for, for the disciples and for the apostles because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. A a great picture of people coming to Jesus, being baptized, and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. Another picture is in Acts 19. And in this situation, the Apostle Paul, this is his second missionary journey. He travels through the interior of Asia Minor. He comes out to the coast in a town called Ephesus. And when he gets there, he finds some disciples. Interesting, Paul's missionary work, he was always looking for believers. He, he would often go to the synagogue first because it was a place for him to share the gospel because there were, there were people who were, who were already God-fearing. And he felt... The opportunity to communicate the gospel was a lot better there because they were already God-word or God-minded or God-fearing people. And sure enough, in Ephesus, there was a group of 12 men referred to as disciples. So these are dedicated 
disciples. First question the Apostle Paul asks in verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they, they answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul went on to explain, of course, clearly why Jesus came. Uh, they, they commit their life to Jesus. They're baptized in water. And then in verse 7, it says he laid his hands on them, and all of them were filled uh, with that Holy Spirit, that initial filling or, or baptism of, of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Let's go to another place. Uh, Acts chapter 9 uh, is another example. This is the record of uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, his name was Saul. He was a violent persecutor of the church. And many of you know the story of how on the road to Damascus, uh, a blinding light appeared to him, knocked him literally off of his horse. And uh, a voice from heaven <laughs> Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul responded by saying, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. That was a powerful moment of salvation and conversion for, for, for Paul's life. And then the Lord told him to go into the city, and he would send someone who would pray for him. Uh, and uh, so the Lord speaks to a man named Ananias and tells him that Saul, this violent persecutor of the church, uh, is laying uh, blinded and he wants him to go lay hands on him and pray for him to receive his sight again so that he could be filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, Ananias is a little bit frightened about that because he's heard about uh, Saul. And uh, I, I love this phrase. Uh, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, he's praying. In other words, he's turning back to God, a man who uh, obviously had been grown in a tradition of history, but didn't know God, didn't have faith. Uh, he's praying. And uh, so Ananias comes. This is verse 17 through 19. He, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may again, uh, may see again, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Apparently, his eyes had been covered with that blinding light, mercy of God. He would have been blinded, but God covered his eyes with something so that he could be healed. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After he'd taken some food, regained his strength. So, Paul has this conversion experience on the road to Damascus, declaring that Jesus is Lord. Lord, Lord. Uh, uh, who are you, Lord? And he has this conversion experience, and then later he's uh, filled with the Holy Spirit as Ananias lays uh, his hands on him. Now, thankfully, th that's three uh, illustrations in the book of Acts of, of people turning to Jesus and then later being filled with the Holy Spirit. And frankly, I don't know what's happened in your life or, or how the Holy Spirit has ministered to you uh, throughout your, your journey of faith. Thankfully, there is a story where people get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. And I'm so glad that's there because, uh, you know, you can't put God in a box. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. He ministers to each one of us very personally in our lives. And so I love this story in Acts chapter 10 because it, 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 it 
puts holes in our theology and opens us up simply to the person of the Holy Spirit, inviting him to come into our life anyway, uh, anyhow, he can. So uh, in Acts chapter 10, you've got to read the whole chapter, and I won't do that. Uh, it's a great story. Uh, Peter ends up at a Gentile's home. Jews weren't allowed to walk into the house of a of a Gentile because they were considered unclean. Lord shows him through a variety of circumstances, I'll let you read it, uh, that he was supposed to go there. So he enters the house. A, a, a Roman uh, official named Cornelius was gathered together with his family and some other people who were God-fearing people. They weren't Jews, they were Gentiles, people like you and me, uh, outsiders, so to speak, to the things of God. As he began to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell. I'm going to begin reading in verse 44 through verse 40. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, which would refer to Jews, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, even on people like you and me. Uh, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Uh, then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. This was so significant because when Peter baptized them in water, he literally was welcoming, them, welcoming these Gentiles into the family of God and the promises of God throughout Old and New Testament. That was a huge event. This was literally life-changing uh, for, the, for the church at that time. Uh, so let me read that verse again, verse uh, 47. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. Uh, they have received the Holy Spirit just like we have. Uh, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and uh, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days, which, again, if you knew the culture, that was amazing. I love this story because it messes up our theology and forces us to a place of humility and dependence on the Holy Spirit. See, I don't know how he's worked in your life, but my heart's desire for you is to be filled. And maybe you're someone coming back to God today, or maybe you're someone who has been seeking the Lord. You believe in Jesus, uh, but... There are struggles there. I remember my experience of being baptized, my, my experience of first being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I uh, told this leader of a college group, I said, I believe in Jesus and, and I want to follow him, but I'm just struggling. <laughs> I so appreciate what he, he said. You need the Holy Spirit. And he said, can I pray for you? And he laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I'm sorry to describe this experience because if you haven't had this experience, you might think, well, maybe it's never happened. It's probably happened to you. If you've ever sensed his love or his presence, you've probably been filled with the Spirit. If you've ever been filled with joy uh, and unexplainable, you've probably been filled with the Holy Spirit. But for me that day, I was kind of an outsider who had come to Jesus. I was baptized in water already, uh, but I wasn't doing very well in my faith. And that day he laid hands on me and literally from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, there was a sense of warmth and, I don't know, tingling. Those are uh, physical sensations. But more than anything, I felt supernatural love that rocked my world. I knew Jesus was real from that point forward. And it changed my life. 
I began to pursue Jesus. I began to read the Bible. I began to ask questions, began to pursue Bible study in my life. It literally changed the direction and the course of my life. It changed my passion. I became passionate for Jesus. And, and, and to me, one of the signs that you're being filled, you know one of the amazing things? God is so gracious. We all have a tendency to wander a little bit. Our soul wanders. We're attracted by the things of this world or the flesh, whatever. And we wander. Our God is a jealous God. One of the things the Holy Spirit will do is he will draw us back to God because the only person that can truly satisfy our need in our life is the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one who can fill us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We, we need him in our life. And so I, I want to talk now as we close, how? How can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to read a simple scripture here. Hopefully you've heard it before, but uh, I hope that you'll ask uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is from Luke uh, chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, I just love Jesus' honesty. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Number one, ask. Ask Jesus. Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.39, again, the promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off and all who the Lord your God will call. So simply come humbly and ask. You don't deserve the Holy Spirit and you'll never deserve the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people feel unworthy. If I could tell you where I was at in my faith when I was filled, you'd be totally unintimidated because God is gracious. And he wants to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So that's number one, ask. Number two is seek. Jesus said, ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Now it's interesting to me in Acts chapter two, verse one, there's a really interesting word. It says all the disciples were together in one accord and in one place. It's interesting that word one accord is the Greek word homothumidon. It's the same word, we get the word thermometer. The idea that they were in one accord, some translations just simply say one place, and that doesn't really tell what the Greek language was saying. That word homothumidon is, is so important because it talks about their passion. So what produced a unity in the early church was their passion for Jesus. They were gathered together with passion. And I want to encourage you to be passionate. This is a gift that you want to be passionate about. You need to ask and you need to seek. Seek the Lord. Keep asking. Keep seeking. And the last thing, keep knocking. If we're all honest, there are barriers in our soul. Barriers in our mind. Barriers in our emotion. There are issues of unbelief. There's I'm just going to say it. There are false doctrines that we've believed for a long time. There are lies. They're demonic. 
And the purpose of those lies is to keep us from the fullness of the person of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we've got to ask, we've got to seek, and we've got to knock because sometimes we've got to break down some barriers within our own soul, our own unbelief, our own self-doubt about ourselves, our own sense of condemnation or shame. Those things sometimes have to be knocked down, so to speak. We need to ask, we need to seek, and then we need to knock and invite the Holy Spirit to come. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on up and we'll uh, close here this morning. I know some of you are thinking, well, pastor, what about the gift of tongues? When are we gonna talk about that? <laughs> well, that's another sermon. And hopefully in a few weeks, we'll, we'll talk about it together a, a little bit, see if I can help a little bit with understanding in regard to uh, one of the spiritual gifts, this gift of tongues. And there's a lot of confusion around it. Why is it necessary? Uh, it's a wonderful gift for intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful gift for a type of prayer that allows the Holy Spirit to pray through you. So we'll talk about that on another morning. And so I just want to ask you, <sighs> did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Are you filled today? Did you have an experience of baptism? One day when you know you were filled and you'll never forget it, it's like his presence was so rich and so real. I don't know how you'd describe it. It may have happened the day you got saved. I've, I've seen people that they were dramatically changed on the day they were saved. And I think they were saved and filled at the same moment. So one of the things I'm thankful for is we can't put God in a box. We just have to open up to the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, knock I believe God wants to give you the Holy Spirit and if you're someone who has received the Spirit before I hope you're filled today I hope you're continuing to seek being filled with the Holy Spirit in your life so Heavenly Father we invite you to come for every person watching Lord whether it's on Sunday morning or Sunday night or during the week Lord right now in in my car or my living room wherever I'm at Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and fill us. Lord, we need you. We need you to fill us. We need you to free us. We need you to forgive us. We need you to cleanse us and wash us. We thank you for your love and your power. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. We all say amen together. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week, and I hope you'll keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking for the Holy Spirit's presence.